Backchat. 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 Politics and current affairs. Backpack. Backchat. Backchat. Your alternative to talk back. Listening to Backchat here on FBI Radio, the freshest wrap of news and current affairs. I'm Swetha Das. And I'm Shami Sivasubramanian. Ah, long name. Sorry. <laughs> uh, and as always, we're going to give you the news you haven't heard on your airwaves this week. First up is Dan Gosher from the Australasian Centre for Corporate Responsibility on how your phone could be funding Adani Colports. After that is Mark Chapman from H&R Block to answer all your burning questions about tax returns because who doesn't love money? I know, I certainly do. <laughs> and finally, Shami and I battle it out to see who's smarter than a US president and yep, you guessed it. <laughs> that isn't very hard. Donald Trump was recently given a cognitive quiz to test all the signs of early Alzheimer's disease and raved about having narrowly passed despite some very difficult questions. Poor Donald. <laughs> but as always, we want to hear from you. Are you confused about your tax return this year, especially because of all the COVID changes? Text us in your questions and join in on the conversation. The number is 0409-945-945 or tweet us at BackchatFBI. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Backchat, your alternative to talk back. So last week, environmental groups threatened to boycott Samsung products if they didn't stop funding Adani. A couple days later, Samsung pledged to stop investing in coal projects. The controversial resource company had borrowed $120 million to pay off debt from the Abbott Point coal port in Queensland. Adani was likely to ask Samsung for more money in the future. This might be a small win for climate change, but corporations still invest in fossil fuels. Our first guest is Dan Gosher, Director of Climate and Environment at the Australasian Centre for Corporate Responsibility. He joins us to explain why domestic and multinational giants should reassess their corporate social responsibility when it comes to the climate crisis. Hi there, Dan. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Our absolute pleasure. So, this isn't the first time corporate involvement in Adani has been in the spotlight, right? Uh, absolutely not. Um, corporates have been the targets of the, the Adani campaign probably as early as 2015. Um, so the first targets we saw were, were pretty much the big four banks, so kind of ANZ, Combank, NAV and Westpac. And campaigns were run by groups like AYCC and 350 and market forces trying to get the banks to stop lending to Adani or to essentially not fund that project. Um, and I guess over time, that shifted to service providers to Adani, whether it be uh, mining contractors like Downer or GHD Group, um, and more recently, kind of Siemens, who uh, that was earlier in the year, who provide kind of um, technology for the train. Um, and more recently, you've seen Samsung come into the spotlight too. So it's it's been yeah, corporates have been at that kind of heart of the campaign for some time. I think it's because governments have been so welcoming to the Adani project that um, we've. I guess attention has turned to the corporates to try and stop the project from going ahead. Is Samsung paying Adani's debt as harmful as investing in new or current coal projects? Oh, it's probably not as bad, but it, it what it does is it. So the fewer investors that are interested in buying Adani's debt mean that it would become more expensive for them to borrow money. And you know, as soon as it becomes more expensive, then it becomes harder for them to be profitable and stay in business. 
So while it's, it's not as directly as, you know, here's some money, go and open a new mine, um, by providing them with money, you're essentially giving them, you know, a line of credit to continue business. Um, and look, that, that decision to um, to invest in Adani's debt probably was made by, you know, some um, some portfolio manager in, in Korea who wasn't aware of, you know, the environmental and climate concerns around the Adani project. Um, but it's pretty clear that once they did become aware that... Um, you know, the company was quite clearly uh, willing to distance themselves as quickly as they could. Yeah, on that note, um, that's the thing that's been really, like, bugging me, actually. So why would Samsung want to finance Adani? Like, what do they possibly get out of it? Oh, look, look, uh, it's probably a decision that was made um, based purely on financials. They probably would have looked at the debt, they saw the credit rating, it was paying, you know, whatever, whatever rate of interest. And they weighted against, weighted up against other, you know, possible debt that they could have bought. Um, I don't think they would have gone shopping around for, you know, find me a coal miner and I, I want to buy their debt. Um, so ultimately, it just would have been a, a straight up investment decision about comparing, you know, one investment versus another. But I think the, the, the issue here is that um, oftentimes people making those decisions aren't aware of the risks um, that are not necessarily financial. So in this case. Um, you know, obviously the risk of opening a brand new coal mine or the reputation risk of being associated with a company like Adani. Um, and, you know, once they became aware of it, then their, ch- their tone completely changed. Um, and we've seen that over and over again. So, you know, with other, with other investors that have lo- loaned money to Adani, um, very quickly, as soon as it becomes public, they, they want to step away. Um, so that reputation risk is really important. Mm. So we saw the disastrous bushfires this year in Australia. They really highlighted the need for renewable energy sources. So why are coal investments still more financially appealing to corporations? <laughs> well, what a loaded question. Um, <laughs> look, uh, look, it's, it's very true that look, the cost of renewables and, and batteries and other tech, uh, the clean tech, have declined rapidly over the last several years, and they're you know in a lot of markets they're you know competitive with um, with coal and gas. Um, but what we have is, in most countries, particularly Australia, is that you have governments unwilling to regulate carbon emissions. So, um, provided you're not putting a price on on, coal, on carbon pollution, then you know coal-fired power stations are essentially um, cash-making machines, right? So you just you, you burn the coal, you produce electricity, and um, you know you're not paying for the pollution. Um, so there's that reason. There's, and then in other countries uh, like Australia, um, you get fossil fuel subsidies. So um, it's not just not paying for the pollution, but you know there'll be government incentives to um, to, to mine coal and, and tax breaks and so on. Um, and that's the case through not just Australia, but the countries that use our coal, uh, be it Japan, China, Korea. Um, and in terms of renewable investment, I mean, you are like it, it, you know, it is a pretty dire situation. You know, it's not moving as quickly as we need it to, but you are seeing some good signs from places like Japan and Korea. I mean, Korea is committed to a, you know, the equivalent of a Green New Deal. Um, and the Japanese environment minister is, you know, he's a, a young guy and he's pretty committed to climate. Um, so, and, and they've just announced some, some fairly significant investments in offshore wind. So while there is still a, you know, a fairly heavily, heavy reliance on coal at this point in time, the future isn't rosy. You know, it is going to be a fairly um, significant um, decline in the market over the next over the next decade. 
You're listening to Backchat on FBI uh, Radio 94.5 FM with Swetha and Shami. We're speaking with Dan Gosha from the Australasian Centre for Corporate Responsibility about Samsung's investment in Adani and why corporations still think coal is profitable. So, Dan, the backlash... Uh, made Samsung review its ESGs or environmental, social and governance values in their investment guidelines. That's a lot of jargon. So could you explain what that actually means? (laughs) Yeah. So look, let's make it really easy. ESG is basically anything that isn't directly related to the immediate profit making of the company. And what companies um, or modern day companies, I guess, starting to realize or have realized is that um, not only do those things make a difference over the long term, but um, they are important to other stakeholders, right? So not just for their, their, their staff, their, their investors, um, the community at large. So if you, you know, if you break those down into three chunks, ESG, so e, e being environment, so you're talking about things like um, you know, air pollution, water, climate change. Um, in social, you would have issues like uh, you know, health and safety, how you treat your staff, um, how... Uh, you know, are the people in your supply chain being, uh, you know, you don't have modern slavery in your supply chain, for instance. And in terms of governance, that relates to how the company is run. You know, do you have a diverse board? Um, you know, are people being remunerated the right way? Um, and all of those things, um, while you could make an, argu- an argument, they're not immediately going to impact on the profit of a company. Um, th- there's been overwhelming evidence that those issues will make a difference to the profitability of the company over the longer term. And to give you a you know a case um, in, in really recent history, if you look at um, the issues that Rio Tinto is going through with um, its destruction of the Yukon uh, Gorge in, in WA a couple of months ago, so Rio Tinto is now seen as having this, or previously was seen as having a, a fairly good um, relationship with Indigenous peoples, and now that has completely flipped, um, and investors and other communities putting a heap of pressure on Rio Tinto to improve it. Um, its relationships with Indigenous people. So um, those issues, are, you know, they, they put them into this bucket called ESG, but there's, you know, there's countless number of issues in there. Um, but ultimately, all of them can have some impact on, on, the, on the value of the company over the longer term. The Samsung investment was briefly mentioned in Korean media outlets at the time, but was otherwise not made public. Are major companies obliged to disclose these decisions? Um, not, not, not necessarily, and it's probably a bit unrealistic to expect all companies to disclose, you know, every investment and every transaction. You know, if you think how big Combank is with all of its loans to, um, you know, residential homes and businesses, you're talking, you know, thousands, if not millions of transactions. Um, so to disclose every single one is, is probably a bit unrealistic. But what is happening is, is companies um, are coming under pressure to disclose involvement in controversial projects. Um, and in, I guess, the Northern Hemisphere, that's played out, particularly in relationship to, say, um, Arctic drilling, for instance, for oil and gas or for, you know, controversial pipelines that have been, you know, subject to quite significant protests, um, particularly in the United States. Um, and that's playing out in Australia with the Adani project. Um, and, you know, you, you, you'll see it play out with other projects also. Um, so it's not necessarily, you know, here's everything I'm invested in, but it's a matter of are you actually involved in these specific projects and um, trying to get companies to be more accountable in that sense. Well, he's hoping we actually do see some much needed change. Thank you so much for speaking with us today, Dan. My pleasure. Have a good day.
That was Dan Gosher, Director of Climate and Environment at the Australasian Centre for Corporate Responsibility, speaking to us about why corporate responsibility is vital when it comes to Adani and coal-related projects. That's right. But don't turn that dial because up next is Mark Chapman from H&R Block to talk about the most debated topic in my group chats, <laughs> tax time. Yeah. But first, for our TikTok fans, we're going to play Tap In by Saweetie. He is a language warning. Talk to you soon. Yeah, listening to FBI. Don't never stop if you want to be on... It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Back Chat, your alternative to talk back. It's that month of the year where... You'll either get a fat sum back in your pocket or find out you owe the government a lot of money. It's everyone's favourite wheel of fortune, tax time. Yay! And this year obviously has been more turby than most. So to help us out with your burning concerns is Director of Tax Communications at H&R Block, Mark Chapman. There's still time to ask your money questions, so if there's anything you want to know, text us in on 0409 945 945 or tweet us at Back chat fbi mark thanks for being with us no problem good morning so a lot of last minute changes this year because of corona what are some of the major changes we should be aware of as we prepare our tax returns oh uh, yeah look i mean covid19 has uh, brought that brought some big changes to our tax returns so we've got you know different kinds of income to what we would have had in the past so you know job keeper and job seeker were never around previously and they're there with us now uh, people have been taking money out of superannuation. Um, their deductions might have changed. So a lot of people have been working from home, which will be potentially something they might never have claimed before. Um, but some of those other deductions that people might have claimed in the past, you know, for travel and using their car for work or work-related clothing, will probably be uh, a little bit lower this year. So uh, definitely uh, a, a different year and probably a year when, you know, a lot of people might uh, struggle to, to complete their tax return because there's so many changes. So, as you mentioned, more people have been working from home during the pandemic. What kind of expenses can they claim? Uh, look, there's different ways of doing this, but uh, if you want to get the best possible deduction, the thing to do is to actually claim uh, all of the individual costs that you've incurred from working from home. So that could be, for instance, your electricity or your gas or both that you use for uh, uh, heating your house and lighting your house. Uh, the cost of your mobile phone or your home phone, if you're using that, the cost of your home internet, um, uh, any cleaning costs that you might have uh, 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 spent on cleaning your home office. Um, if you bought any uh, home office furniture, like uh, chairs, desks, cabinets, that kind of thing, you can claim uh, those. You can claim immediately if, if, if the cost of each of those items is less than $300. Um, and you know the cost of any technology items might have purchased so if you've gone out and bought a new laptop or a new desktop computer or an ipad or a new mobile phone um, uh, you'll be able to claim uh, a deduction uh, for those potentially not all in one go but you'll still be able to claim a deduction so if you claim each of those individual items uh, separately uh, work out your work-related proportion of those costs and claim those that will give you the best possible deduction in terms of working from home. But there are other ways of, of, of doing that, which are maybe a little bit more straightforward, but they won't give you such a big deduction. So speaking of working from home, the tax office has introduced a temporary shortcut method to help people track these expenses. How does this process work and how long can we access it for? 
Yeah, so that's one of the other ways of claiming your home office expenses. So the ATO, to, to I guess to make life simple for taxpayers really, has introduced um, uh, what they call the shortcut method, which is basically a flat rate. Uh, so you can claim 80 cents per hour for every hour that you work from home. Um, and that kicks in from pretty much the start of the coronavirus period. So uh, anybody who's been working from home since March, for instance, would be able to claim uh, a deduction for that. So all you need to do is just keep a record of your, um, you know, the, the hours that you work from home, multiply that by 80 cents, and that will give you your deduction. And for most people who've been working full-time from home since, you know, uh, say the middle of March, that would typically give them a deduction around $450, $500. The problem is, Although it's very easy to work out and it's, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a nice, simple method, it doesn't give you the best deduction. So if you use the actual costs that you've incurred, which I just talked about, that could give you a deduction you know, three, four times bigger than using the shortcut method. So if you could avoid using the shortcut method, I would say um, uh, don't use it. Talk to your tax agent um, and get their assistance in working out your claim because that will potentially give you a much bigger deduction if you use one of the other methods. Excellent, excellent. I'm furiously taking notes as we speak, Mark. <laughs> I, I've also heard that you can claim a deduction on protective items like face masks and hand sanitizer, which I know Shami is definitely going to be claiming 100%. this year. So um, is, is that true? Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it depends on what your job is. I mean, if you're in the kind of job where you can't socially distance from the people that you either work with or the people that you're dealing with, you know, your, 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 your customers, then you can claim the hand sanitizer, the face masks, the antibacterial spray, all of that kind of thing. So uh, hairdressers, people in hospitality, retail, uh, teachers, uh, people in healthcare, and that's, that's not just the healthcare professionals themselves, it's the sports staff like the receptionists and the cleaners and so on. All of those sorts of people can claim um, uh, protective equipment or, or protect, you know, hand sanitizers, that kind of thing. Um, if you're not in that list, you probably just need to look at what your um, sort of day-to-day interactions with people actually are. Uh, do you have to be, uh, you know, uh, in, a, in a position where you're not socially distanced from the people you're actually interacting with? If the answer to that is yes, then you can claim those, um, uh, you know, those, those protective items. Um, if you are socially distanced, it's probably going to be a little bit more difficult to make that claim. So you've just got to look at what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. You're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio 94.5 FM with Swetha and Shami. We're speaking with Mark Chapman from H&R Block to answer your tax time queries. Earlier we asked what you would like to know from Mark and we've got a couple of texts in. So Gabby from Bexley says, I accessed my super early this year because of COVID. Do I need to include that on my tax return? Does she? Uh, no, she does not. So if you are one of those people who's taken the super out and you were eligible to do that and you've got the cash, that's not taxable. doesn't need to go anywhere near your tax return. Uh, that, that's completely tax-free income. Oh, excellent. excellent. Clear <laughs> answer. Love it. So you mentioned JobSeeker and JobKeeper have thrown a bit of a spanner in the works this year. How do those payments change how they filed the tax returns this year? Yes, so both of those payments are taxable. So that's the first thing to be aware of. They do need to go on your tax return. Um, Having said that, um, uh, uh, both of those payments would normally be automatically downloaded from the ATO, so you shouldn't have to do anything proactive to put those into your tax return. Um, uh, Job seeker information uh, will be sent from Centrelink across to the ATO, and that just goes into your tax return. 
uh, JobKeeper uh, should show up on your uh, the income statement you've got from your employer, and you should see a separate line there which actually lists this JobKeeper. And again, that will go straight into your tax return. Um, if you're running your own business and you've claimed JobKeeper, it's slightly different. In that instance, you will actually need to physically put the JobKeeper information into your tax return. It won't be automatically put in there by the ATO. So again, mm. uh, speak to your tax agent just to make sure that those payments are actually showing up in your tax return. And if they're not, uh, get your agent, tell your agent you receive them, and then they'll be able to put that into your uh, tax return for you. So how important is it to have a receipt? This is the part that really like gets me every year. Is it important I have some kind of record um, when I'm claiming my tax deductions? Yeah, yeah, absolutely crucial because the, the ATO has a rule. If you've not got the paperwork to support the, the thing you're claiming, you know, the receipt or the invoice or whatever, um, unfortunately, you can't claim the deduction. And that's one of the things that trips people up all the time. Um, you know, they know that they've spent something during the course of the year. They know it related to their job. And they know that they could claim a deduction for it, but they've lost the receipt or they never had the receipt in the first place. Um, and they just can't make the claim because they can't prove it to the ATO. Um, so just, just make sure, I mean, if you've not already done this, just actually go back. If you can't find receipts, maybe try and get a duplicate from the, from the retailer that you bought the product from. Um, potentially look at your bank statements because you can potentially use those or your credit card statements as a fallback if you don't have the receipt. But it is absolutely crucial to have that. Um, so, and, and again, when I was talking about working from home expenses and claiming those actual costs, uh, you get a bigger deduction if you do that, but you do need those receipts in order to make the claim. Um, if you don't have the receipts, then you're probably going to have to use that 80 cent method, which will give you a smaller deduction. So it, financially, it will make a big difference if you don't have that, that paperwork. So if people have tax to pay and they're struggling to make the payment, what happens then? Um, look, the ATO is pretty flexible in, in relation to that kind of thing. I mean, particularly uh, this year, because there's going to be a lot of people who are, uh, you know, in, in, in some financial stress, and they're not necessarily going to be able to pay tax bills uh, up front. Um, it's as easy, basically, as going onto the ATO website and arranging a payment, uh, making a payment arrangement. Now, that, as I say, can be done entirely online. You don't need to speak to anybody to do that. You just go in uh, to the ATO website make your payment arrangement, um, provided it's reasonable, the ATO will accept that. And that will enable you to make the, uh, the pay off that tax debt over a period of time rather than all in one go. So it kind of smooths out those payments and, and hopefully uh, reduces some of that stress. This is such an interesting topic. I'm so glad we've had you on the show. Uh, thank you so much for being with us, Mark. Yeah, that's no problem. That was the Director of Tax Communications at H&R Block, Mark Chapman, having... Uh, a great time with us. At least I had a great time. <laughs> Breaking down your tax questions for the year. Um, yes. Stay tuned because we're about to do a really fun quiz. So check that out. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her trade. Back chat, your alternative to talk back. And now it's time for our quiz segment, a new segment we have on the show. We have producer Millie Roberts coming in to administer the cognitive test that Donald Trump himself raved about having passed despite some very difficult... Should I have done that in a Trump impersonation? Do it, do it. Yeah, very that. difficult. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> um, final question. Look, Millie, I'm just, like, not here right now. I'm still quite hungover, so will we be okay? Yeah, I mean, we'll find out. So, question one. I'm holding a picture of something. Can you please tell me what it is? Okay, so the 
Should I describe it, it like for a, our audience? Yeah, it feels like a trick question. I feel like we, we don't have enough context <laughs> around this quiz. Real this quick. is an audio medium. Who wrote this? <laughs> okay, anyway, so well, the picture is, Shami, help me out here. Uh, there's a trunk. <laughs> okay, look, I feel like it's a trick question because it's an elephant. But really quickly, <laughs> really quick. So just for anyone who's completely confused, because I feel completely confused right now. This uh, is the this is the Montreal Cognitive Assessment. Well, it's not really for legal reasons. It's inspired by it. But that's the Alzheimer's uh, diagnosing quiz that Trump took. Should we be worried that they're doing Alzheimer tests on our US president? Possibly on our US president. Absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, anyway, is my right along, guys. This picture, it's great. What is it? It is an elephant. It's an elephant. It's an elephant. Beautiful. Oh, good. Correct. Okay. Don't That's ask good. two Indians to guess. Please, an never. Elephant. Never. Okay. Right. okay. Cool. So, please finish this sequence. Two, four, six. Your turn. Eight. Eight. Nice. Once again, don't ask two Indians to do math. Mark Chapman actually told oh me the answer God. to that. So I've actually heard the leader of the free world had a bit of difficulty on that one. Mm -hmm. So next question, I'm going to give you a sentence and you're going to have to repeat it at the end of the show. Ready? Okay. Okay. Apply to be on the back chat team. That's it. You just have to repeat it at the end of the show. Okay. Word for word. I'm not going to remember that you do that. Cool. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) Someone put in the script. (laughs) We're almost done. I'm going to read out a situation and you have to answer one short question about it. Ready? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Philip went to the shops, but Elizabeth stayed home. Where's Philip? Went to the shops. I feel like all of these feel like trick questions. Shall we back yourself. I need a bit more empowerment <laughs> coming from okay. You think <laughs> Trump <laughs> had <laughs> any doubt of his ability? <laughs> Look at you go. Yeah, have the confidence oh. of Trump. But we're that was right, and we're at our final question. A quick reminder that President Trump told a Fox News reporter that these questions were most difficult. So ready? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Last one. What day, month, and year is it? Don't look it up. It is a Saturday, 25th July, 2020. Congrats. Well done. Oh, my God. I've been cheating because it was my dad's birthday just a couple days ago, so, like, I have that date in my head. The bar is so low. Um, Do I get bonus points for saying it's cancer season? Oh, oh, actually, oh, no, you don't. Season. It's Leo season, so actually, you don't. Whatever. Oh, this is not wow. your. This is not the Shami quiz. Oh my god! <laughs> I would win an astrology quiz. You know that. <laughs> Finally, what was the sentence that I asked you to repeat a little bit earlier? Apply for the back chat team. To apply, apply to be on the back chat oh, team. Oh, see, oh god, I'm never gonna be the president <laughs> of America. Uh, yes, that's right. You know us as FBI's flagship politics and current affairs program now we want to get to know you we're on the hunt for new contributors to join our team on top of live radio experience you'll also get the opportunity to learn from aussie journals like mark fennell avani dias gina mckeon and many more if you are passionate about covering the issues that matter most to sydney's young people then head to fbiradio.com slash jobs that's right and after that ah, brain numbing quiz that is all all the time we've got for the show today another big thanks to our producers natalie Sekolovska, Eden Faithful, Millie Roberts, Vanessa Lim, and Nicole Ilya Goyeva. And thanks again to our guests, Dan Goshar and Mark Chapman. We'll catch you next week, but before we do, we're playing a song. It's one that I've chosen, so I'm very, very, very proud <laughs> okay. of it. Okay. <laughs> it's by DJ Snake. It's called Magenta Rhythm. It's a banger. Have a lovely weekend, everyone.